Welcome. I'm your host, Carl Nelms, and this is the Bloke Psychology Podcast, where we discuss everything from men's health, mental health, relationships, psychology, masculinity, and pretty much everything that relates to being a man in today's society. Today's episode features Mr. Josh Quarby. Now, Josh is the managing director and founder at Blokepedia. Pretty cool name. They're doing some incredible things across Australia in the man space, the men's mental health and men's health space. We speak to Josh about his own significant challenges with mental health, his journey of thinking about seeking support, but like too many men, putting it off for 15, 20 years until he finally got the support, addressed what was really going on for him, which ultimately led to the evolution and creation of Blokepedia. Blokepedia, as I said, are doing some really cool stuff in this space. And I think given Josh has only just stepped into running the organization full time, this is only the beginning. And we're going to hear a hell of a lot more down the track about Blokepedia and the work they're doing across Australia. Enjoy, guys. And we are live. Welcome back to the Bloke Psychology Podcast. Today, I've got Josh Quarmby here from Blokepedia. Josh, thanks for giving us your time and welcome to the Bloke Psychology Podcast. Carl, thank you very much for having me on board, mate. No, it's an absolute pleasure, absolute pleasure. So you are the founder and the managing director of Blokepedia, which we'll get to shortly in terms of talking about what that is and what that's doing in Australia. But... First question I want to fire at you, Josh, is what led to you sort of creating Blokepedia? What sparked that passion to sort of go to all the effort to set up what is now Blokepedia? Yeah, that's a good question, Carl. I started it just over three years ago now um, after realising, and from my opinion, my perspective, there wasn't a great deal of platforms available for blokes to to talk about stuff outside football, sports and, and those kind of issues there. So in talking to a friend of mine who was a um, blogger, um, kind of said, look, it'd be really great to have something for, for men where we can talk about those issues, you know, such as fatherhood and uh, relationships, our health and lifestyle, etc. Um, so this idea for, for Blokeopedia came about and um, I guess little did I know that kind of went on my own little bit of healing uh, journey as well through that time as one of the first um, stories that I shared was um, through my own experience of losing my father and the impact that that those bottled emotions had on me as a young fella growing up and even entering manhood. So the journey that I've been on uh, with Blokepedia has obviously been a very cathartic one for myself in, in kind of learning and healing, um, but also it sparked in me a bit of a passion and an interest in, in helping other men um, not only uh, learn to be more vulnerable, but also to give them the tools and, and support they need to, to navigate life. Wow. So, so am I right in uh, saying that it started initially as an online blog? Yeah, that's right. So it started initially as a blog site um, and I was really encouraging other guys uh, and, and people within my network to, to share their own stories. So whether it be about, you know, fathers who've gone through um, experiences such as miscarriage through to guys who, you know, started their own business and I guess how that it impacted their emotional and social uh, well-being. And, and um, 
from there, it's really grown quite organically uh, into what it's become today. Wow. Wow. So do you mind if I ask, Josh, how old were you when you did lose your father? Yeah, I was 15 when I lost my father and um, he, he died quite suddenly in a, uh, in a motor vehicle accident when I was, uh, yeah, as I said, 15 years of age. So I think probably quite a pivotal time for a, for a young fella. Um, my mum and dad had, uh, had separated um, years earlier, uh, but I think uh, was just starting to kind of re-establish a, a bit of a relationship with him. Um, and, yeah, I think for years, whenever someone spoke to me about um, Dad dying or, you know, where, where was my father, I'd kind of bottle those emotions, as, as so many blokes do. Um, and I think I didn't realise that the negative impact that was having on me. Mm. 15, that's such, as you said, such a young age and pivotal age to lose your dad. How long... Did it take for you to sort of unbottle those emotions, actually realise, wow, I have to sort of let these out and try to work through them in some way, shape or form? It, it took me a while. You know, I was actually reflecting on that just recently that, you know, it probably probably up until starting Blokopedia, like even writing that first story and, and kind of the... the um, the experience of doing that and the emotions. I remember crying quite a bit, just I'm um, going, holy shit, you know, I've, um, yeah, I haven't really dealt with this, you know, whilst I probably thought I had, um, I hadn't. So um, I know over the years, my mum tried to encourage me to see counsellors or psychologists and, you know, the typical kind of bloke that I was, I thought, no, I'm fine, I'm fine. So um, you'll be right. Exactly, I'll be all right. Um, and, and yeah, ultimately I wasn't. So, um that took a long time for me to realise and I guess that's kind of part of the catalyst for, for Blokopedia to go, geez, I don't want other blokes or even young fellas to go through what I went through when there are ways and tools to actually to, to manage these these things. So how did that impact you throughout your adolescence and early 20s, sort of losing your father so early but not really, I suppose, appropriately grieving through it or letting yourself feel all of that? Yeah, I think... In hindsight, you know, and knowing what I know now through the work I do with um, Blackpedia and through Dr. Clark Williams, who's um, psychologist and co-director with me, um, I, I did deal with those in, in really negative ways. You know, I was, I was angry, um, you know, a lot of the times it would probably had depressive moments as well. Um, but I think a huge um, uh, thing for me was alcohol. You know, I, I would probably suppress my emotions with alcohol quite a bit um and, and i guess you know the australian culture and and of drinking it was probably not as obvious to others as what it kind of has become to me mm. well that that's it isn't it i mean it's it's still so socially acceptable to go out with your mates and get absolutely smashed um when in, in reality you know people who are doing that more often than not, if they're doing it regularly, there's usually a lot more going on beneath the surface. Yeah, and, you know, whilst, you know, there's nothing necessarily wrong with going out and having social drinks with your mates, I think it's a great form of socialising and that social connection. When you're drinking alone, like I had been and and, uh, was at times, uh, I think that's when it becomes a real issue and and that's when you kind of need to take a step back and, and look at what the underlying message or underlying issue is that needs addressing mm, mm. and I, I know uh 
myself clinically, you know, a lot of guys come to our service and I've worked with over the years due to exactly this, losing their fathers, whether it be a year ago or five years ago, and they haven't worked through it. And I imagine, especially for you, Josh, like at such a young age, it it really probably impacted, you know, how you saw yourself as a man and, you know, your sense of identity and all of that, losing him at such a young age. Is that, did that sort of resonate with you at the time? Oh, look, I think... Um you know, the, the society that we live in and, and even, you know, I grew up in a, in a small country town um, and I have a very close family. I think um, what I felt most being the oldest of, a, of three kids was probably a responsibility to, to my mother and to my siblings that I needed to step up. In fact, I remember my grandmother once saying that you have to, you're the man of the, of the house now. So I think um, uh. rightly or wrongly, I kind of... Um, you know, brushed all my emotions and whatever aside in in relation to my own own, own grieving, um, and was the, the the big tough you know um, man. You know, so it was yeah. Uh, in hindsight, yeah, it was a it was a tough time. Yeah, that just something so simple. I mean, that speaks volumes, doesn't it? You know, you've got to step up now and be the man of the house. There's so many implications from a, a, a you know being a man point of view isn't there there is and i was actually just reading something um this morning you know around you know how we bottle those emotions and, and how we've kind of um told guys and young young men as well that you know it, it's weak weak to, to show emotions and weak to be vulnerable which um obviously as you know is is quite the opposite you know i think some of the strongest people i know are uh, some of the most vulnerable as well, mm. um, you know. And uh, unfortunately, it took me, you know, till I was in my mid mid thirties, early to mid thirties, to kind of realise the strength in vulnerability. But I think we need to start allowing guys, um, you know, to be vulnerable and also give them spaces in which they can do so as well. I completely agree, Josh. And I think that's what I love so much about what you guys are doing is on a really large scale is giving guys permission to do that. Yeah, um, I guess, you know, from starting as a blog site, we then moved um, into doing events where it was kind of taking what was becoming quite popular on the blog site and um, into, I guess, a, a more social and engaging uh, arena, so to speak, where we actually um, brought speakers in to share their stories um, and, and talk about some of those issues and, and challenges that, that blokes have um, going through life. Um, and I think just the power in that, I didn't realise when I first started, the power in people seeing other people share their stories and knowing that they're, they're not alone through it is um, is, is really quite remarkable. And um, it, it is something that I'm really stoked to um to do, I really love the events and getting these um, speakers in from all walks of life to, to to talk about things because you know through doing this work, I know that um, many people, you know, men and women alike, have actually come along to the events and gone, "Oh wow, this is great!" You know, and it's been uh, something said at those events that's encouraged them to to go and seek some help or, or to have conversations that matter as we talk. Uh, uh, talk about them as in blokepedia that's our little kind of slogan um it, it encourages people to then kind of walk away and go you know what it's all right to talk to my mates about those things 
Yeah. And I, I, that's why I've been fascinated. You know, I think we spoke on the phone the first time maybe a year, year and a half ago. I, I can't remember exactly, but I know since then and even before that, I was following you guys on social media and given you guys are in Brizzy, unfortunately, I haven't been able to attend any of the events in person. But I thought, wow, you know, these guys are effectively having pub chats with, you know, some guest speakers from psychologists to, you know, footy players and whatnot. And they're just talking, as you said, about conversations that matter, about raw stories, their journeys and self-care, mental health, men's health. And the thing that struck me when I first came across you guys was thinking, wow, like even 10, 15 years ago, to think that you would have a bunch of guys at a pub, and I'm sure women attend as well, but you know, predominantly I'm guessing guys, especially on the panel, talking about their feelings <laughs> and mental health and these sort of things. I mean, that just would have been unheard of 10, 15 years ago. Whereas whereas now, I mean, I look at the events and even, you know, I joined in on the, the virtual event you had recently a week or two ago on the Zoom chat. And even through that, you know, you had such a, a wide array of speakers and to look and go, wow, there's, there's 100 guys right now or 120 or whatever it was tuning in from around Australia simply because they care about their self-care, their mental health, and they're putting that on the agenda and they're spending an hour of their time to watch guys talk about this stuff. I mean, that that's incredible, Josh. Yeah, you know, as I said, it's um, something I'm you know, really proud to, to um, obviously be a part of um, and I'm really you know, grateful for the, the support that we do get from the, the likes of you know, the sports people that we have on, the psychologists and health professionals and business people that, that um, you know, join in these these important discussions and, and I guess, lead through the vulnerability um, and, and show guys that it's all right to do that, you know. So I think that is it's something just so powerful about that and simple as well. Like it's, you know, what I'm doing isn't rocket scientists, let, let me know, <laughs> I'll tell you that, you know. It's, it's, not, it's not hard, but... Um, it's all about just creating a safe space for guys um, to learn and connect and uh, I guess, you know, take away what they will from from the events and, and other stuff that we do as well. So you said earlier it wasn't until your, your 30s or your mid-30s until you actually identified, hey, I've got to work through some of this stuff, you know, that <laughs> primarily from what you've said was due to, you know, losing your dad so early. Yeah. Were there times throughout your 20s where, you know, you sort of identified that, you know, crap, I really do need to get a handle on this and you had that brief window but then sort of said, nah, nah, I'll be right or, or what, did it all sort of hit you in your 30s? Yeah, I think so. And that's something that I guess we, we aim to address now um, through my own experience is that help-seeking behaviour in blokes. It's usually not until it gets to a crisis point that you that we choose to do something about about it or, or our partner or our wife or whatever goes, hang on, you've got to go and see a doctor or your mates or whatever it might be. You know, whether that's talking about physical health as well as your, your mental health as well. So there's certainly were times you know on reflection that i've kind of thought oh geez i need to do something about this you know a moment of um depression or deep sadness or whatever it might have been and then you kind of wake up the next day feeling all right again so you go oh good um yeah so i think that's yeah something that we probably all need to um get better at is is probably looking at, at how we how we do seek help as guys rather than waiting for it to be at crisis point or even worse for in other cases, unfortunately. 
Yeah. And I mean, it's talked about so often in the space that we sort of, you know, dabble in that unfortunately go that that sort of preventative or prehab or seeking support before shit hits the fan or before you mm. hit rock bottom, it does go against the stereotypical or traditional, uh, I suppose, role of masculinity in being a man, doesn't it? You know, the she'll be right mentality and that self-reliance, that stoicism, which is great at times, but mm. unfortunately, I mean, uh, as you alluded to, you know, too many guys do wait until it's too late. Yeah, and, and you know, um, like you say, there's nothing wrong with that being stoic and being strong. You know, in, in fact, I think it's a, it's a great thing, thing that many men and, and people do possess that strength. But I think at times you need to know when you need to take uh, take the cap off that bottle, you know, because mm. otherwise, you know, you're going to be damaging yourself and or and or others, um, you know. So, you know, I think and something that I've learned is you don't have to be vulnerable with everyone, but you need to have a few people in your life that you can kind of take that lid off and be open and be raw with um, and then go back and, you know, whether it's in your workplace, you, some people don't want to be talking about all their feelings and emotions in the workplace, you know, especially people who might be in leadership or management roles. Yeah. You know, they might open up a little bit and that's cool, but they might not be completely vulnerable necessarily, which I, I think in my opinion is all right and that's justified, but you still need to be able to go away and have those few people that you can actually be open, real and raw with and, and say, look, this is how I'm, how I'm feeling. That's such a really good point, Josh, because I think a lot of a lot of guys who come across this narrative of people like ourselves talking about, you know, vulnerability is strength and essential in, in, you know, being a well-rounded, well-balanced man and that sort of can poo-poo it very easily and go, ah, yeah, right. Like uh, I'm not just going to tell everyone that, you know, I'm struggling and whatnot. But as you said, having, having people you trust, whether it be those one person or the two or three people within your tribe, that you can go to and show your true colours when you need to. I mean, that's what's absolutely critical. Yeah, you're right. And I think I think as well, like with the work that you do, I know you obviously you've got a great um, social media presence, it is making discussions around men's health and wellbeing accessible to everyone and, and I guess normalising it in a way, which I think previously the discussion is when it comes to mental health and it, it's almost been misunderstood that it's, um, it's either depression or anxiety or, or suicide, whereas there's obviously mental health is so much more than that and we need to start reframing the conversation so we can actually bring in more guys to act, to to know what it really is all about and how to maintain your, your mental health as well. Mm. Yeah, because it's not just that deficit, is it? That, that, that sort of old school idea even of mental health is, you know, very much... Uh, deep-rooted in psychiatry and there's something wrong with you whereas you know th th that there's a lot of posts that go around you know we all have mental health and it's it's more about self-care and not just okay when something's wrong it's about okay you know especially for blokes how can you thrive not just survive how can you be a better version of yourself a better partner a better parent all of those things i'm really glad you brought that up because it's such a valid point yeah, well, it's something that struck me. I did some work in Northern Territory late last year and we were in Alice Springs um, doing this kind of men's forum talking about um, some of these challenges that men face in the NT, which was a really you know, remarkable experience. But 
one of the guys in there when we were kind of having this forum and, and, and open discussion said, you know, we, we often talk about what mental illness or what poor mental health looks like. We never talk about what good mental health looks like. And that, that's kind of stuck with me. I go, you're bloody right, mate. You know, <laughs> it's true. So I, I think part of the work that I want to do is make sure that we are kind of reframing that conversation to, to I guess, pull in more people to have, you know, to talk about what good looks like as well. Mm. Because that parallel to physical health, uh, I mean, if we, if we, if we treated physical health the same way we do traditionally treat mental health, that we'd just be talking about physical health as the deficits when something goes wrong. But we know that we talk about physical, being physically healthy and fitness mm. and nutrition and, you know, being physically well. Whereas we don't talk enough about, you know, being mentally well. How can we thrive? How can we really, I suppose, because at the core of it, if you're thriving, then that is the biggest protective factor against developing any mental health issues. Mm. And, and I guess, you know, realizing as well that you might be thriving on Tuesday and then down in pumps on Friday, you know, it's, and you can, you know, go back and forth along any time as well. Yeah. Well, that's it. It's not binary, is it? No. And that, you know, I, uh, I was speaking to somebody recently about this at a, a, a men's mental health sort of breakfast I did last year. And one guy put his hand up, I think as a manager, and pretty much said, you know, but how can I tell if my employee has a mental health problem? And I think that was really interesting because it was it was so binary and so typical of sort of how we pragmatic blokes can be. You either have it or you don't. <laughs> and I tried to explain, well, you know, it's it's a continuum. Maybe he doesn't have, you know, clinical depression that we could diagnose, but the dude's still struggling. Mm. But he just you know, he was an older gentleman and fair enough, but he just couldn't seem to grasp that concept. He sort of said, yeah, but the, the criteria is there. Does If he meets it or not, an uh, uphill battle with some. Yeah, I guess there is, you know, that's, I guess, one of, one of the challenges that we have is this old school kind of thinking and and especially the attitudes of, well, how do I fix it, you know? And, yeah. and that's, being, uh, being a bloke, that's one of our first things that we want to do is fix it, you know? If, and it's been one of my biggest learnings, I think, in, in uh, being married just over a year, coming up to a year and a half, I think, now. And when my wife shares with me, you know, how her day is or a problem that she's having, <laughs> my natural go-to would be to, to fix it. And so I've constantly kind of got Clive in the back of my head going, don't fix it, just listen and, you know, mm. draw out that feeling rather than, oh, okay, so constantly, I still mess up from time to time and want to fix it because you know um but yeah i think as as guys we want to we want to be black and white you know how, what does mental health look like what does how do, how do i fix it when when it's in front of me mm. and, I, um, mate, I can't i can't tell you how often i have it, that chat with clients and just say hang on before before launching into problem solving mode just ask your partner do you want me to help you solve this or just listen because mm. as, you, as you, I'm sure you can relate, 99% of the time they go, no, 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 just shut up and listen. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Clive said he wants to get some shirts made up that said, um, don't fix it, just listen. And so I think oh, that's yeah, brilliant. Be, yeah, <laughs> might be beneficial to a lot of us. So, so going back to your own journey, Josh, you know, yeah. you said thir- in the year 30s was when you said, okay, I've got to do something about this. Was there a specific catalyst that made you go right? now's the time you know enough's enough or 
Not necessarily, no. I've, I've, yeah, look back on that to go, well, what was that? Because at the time I was, um, um, you know, I'd just moved up to Brisbane and, um, you know, things were relatively good for me maybe, but I don't know. I, I, I don't know what it was that made me do it. I don't know what it was that possessed me to, to all of a sudden write down this story that led me on this journey to obviously that little bit of um, healing and, and um, yeah, that, that came from that. So I don't, yeah, I don't know. I can't say that there was a catalyst. I think bloody lucky that it did happen because, you know, who, who knows where I might be with life now. Yeah, well, the stars align. That's that's the main thing. Do, do you mind so. if I ask just what what did you actually do? Because I'm mindful there's probably people listening who can relate to a lot of what you've said in terms of your own personal journey. Mm. What what were the first few steps that you took to try and sort of get on top of this and sort of explore these emotions and start to process them? The biggest thing, and this was before, you know, kind of really taking off with Blackpedia and meeting Clive and other, you know, uh, mental health experts, you know, that, that give me the understanding I have today. The biggest thing was that opening up and just sharing it, uh, you know, different to sharing it with a mate or a loved one, I decided to share it with, you know, a, a wider audience um, through through a blog format, which, you know, isn't the traditional kind of way of <laughs> sharing things. But but to me, that actually then opened the doors to people who were in my friendship circle and, and people that I trusted and loved to actually reach out and say, I didn't realise you were feeling like that. So it actually started that, um, I guess, um, that next step of connecting me with others to actually continue the conversation. So... Um, and then I guess little by little, other unhealthy behaviours that I was having, I was smoking at the time as well. I was you know, a picture of health, I tell you. Um, <laughs> yeah, things like that that I've been doing for years, I um, slowly, you know, I haven't smoked now for two or three years but or more, but um, obviously as I was getting happier and healthier, I didn't have those vices to rely on. Um, anymore so yeah it was I guess one step at a time rather than trying to rip the band-aid off and, and go for gold and go here I am uh, I think the important thing is to just you know two steps forward one step back kind of thing you don't need to go out hammer and tongs necessarily so it really was for you though just starting to share that story and get it off your chest mm. and, and in your in your situation in a very unique way Exactly. I remember that one of the first times um, I spoke about it and even, um, you know, on blogs or, or, you know, podcasts or at events afterwards, I remember um, speaking at, at one of those at an event not long after I started Blackpedia and I remember this feeling that would come up every time someone talked about dad, you know, because they asked me at the event. I remember this feeling of wanting to cry and blah, blah, blah. But as time's gone on, that feeling's become less and less. Um, it's still, you know, kind of there at times, certainly, because those emotions are, are still going to be present because there's still that loss. But um, that emotional kind of reaction that I would have every time that someone asked me about dad would, yeah, uh, I guess really rise to the surface, but that doesn't happen anymore. And I think that's because I've been able to to talk about it and share with others 
my experience and journey and, and also, I guess, how that impacted my life. Yeah. So, Josh, did you actually seek professional support as well or did, did you just go about it yourself? No, I think, um, oh, God, the first time I, I sought uh, professional help was an absolute disaster of an experience. Uh, it was through a um, through an EAP um, and, again, it was kind of at a, a crisis point at that time um, and, and my, my partner at the time said, look, you need to go and talk to someone. She was going through some health issues that were quite um, serious. So um, with her gentle push, uh, I um, called the EAP and went along and, um, yeah, I remember sitting in the, in the, um, in the office or in, you know, her um, clinic or whatever and she kept looking over my head and I'm going, what was she looking at, you know? And I'm pouring out my, my feelings and emotions and, and just, you know, an absolute blubbering mess, but she keeps looking over my head. And I'm like, what the hell? There's a bloody clock above her head. So she was uh. the whole time clock watching, obviously not listening to anything I was saying. And um, at the end of it went, oh, you'll be fine. And I thought, oh, Jesus, I'd hate to see what, you know, not fine looks like. So that, that was the first experience. And obviously that just set me back, you know, donkey's ears because I was like, well, I'm not going to another psychologist again. They're bloody useless. How old were you then, Josh? Uh, that was probably, uh, gosh, mid mid to late 20s. Um, okay. And, and then it wasn't until I, I think maybe four, a few months later that I went, no, I do need to pursue this. Um, and obviously didn't go back to that that particular um, psychologist, but called another one, and she was fantastic. You know, like um, you know, really listened to me, and then gave me some some tools and things to do that were so simple it wasn't funny. You know, it was like every day I want you to go for a, a walk with your dog for you know 15, 20 minutes, um, and so that simple act of movement was obviously helping to improve. You know, I wasn't sitting down and you know wallowing in my own self-pity or whatever at the time, but it was just these little steps and these tools that uh, she'd give every time I visited that I was like, okay, this is what it's about, you know. Um, wow. Yeah, and I think, um, yeah, I think so many guys though, get put off by having a negative experience and I can understand why that they don't go back again because they might, you've got to find someone that's going to suit you. That would, As you know, Carl, you know, there's, there's going to be someone who, is really going to click with you and love the love your you know processes your techniques and tools and support but others might go ah oh, he's not for me i'm going to go sort someone else out but i think mm. i think it's important to actually keep looking if you are in need of a psychologist or, or, or that therapy such a really good point josh it's funny actually we're talking about this it was last night uh terry from mr perfect was messaging me because uh, he's just published a blog post on exactly this and I was sort of gave him some input because he's experienced, you know, on his platform, so many people reaching out saying, you know, I can't, I can't find a good one. I've tried so many times and I experience this all the time too. Guys will come to us often saying, I've been to two or three, five, ten years ago. I gave up but now shit's hit the fan again. So I thought I'll give it one last ditch attempt and I think for anybody out there listening, you know, that rapport, as you said, Josh, is the most important thing. It really is with that psychologist. So ask somebody you trust 
who might know of someone, ask your GP, but just if you have a bad experience, don't give up because, you know, I, I hate to think like with you, Josh, that first AAP experience, if you had simply said, ah, psychs, counselors, mental health support, it's all a crock. I'm not trying to trying it again. You know, imagine, I mean, uh, where do you think you would be if you had simply given up at that point? Oh, look, I'd, I'd hate to think. I think, you know, I'm quite lucky um, without that that I do have a really strong, um, you know, network in my family and friends. So I, um, you know, yeah, I had to think, you know, if things really hit the fan, if things really got quite dire, what might have happened? But I probably would have just continued with some really poor, um, unhealthy behaviour. Um, but, you know, for others, you know, guys who are really at crisis and, and need that support and, you know, rock up to an EAP, rock up to a psychologist and they don't click, then, yeah, as I totally recommend to, to go and, keep looking, you know, as painful as it can be at times because you want to find someone that works for you. I think it's just got to pick up that phone book and keep keep dialing. <laughs> How hard was that for you though, Josh, to, you know, the first time to actually go, you know what, I'm actually going to do this and see someone and then have to do it again because I know, I mean, I see weekly how hard it is, you know, guys sometimes sit on, on my couch in my office and just burst into tears as soon as they sit there. Yeah, I, I remember the. I remember driving from work to, to this appointment with the, um, this lady um, the first time, and I just remember the anxiety that I felt beforehand. You know, and I think um, you know the, the blubbering mess that I was uh, in her office was probably part anxiety because I didn't know what you know <laughs> whether she was going to say, "Oh, well, you're, we're going to have to commit you because you're a nutbag," or <laughs> whatever. But um, yeah, because. I hadn't spoken to anyone about it for so long or at all properly. Um, so I was probably, it was just, it was this bottle that you know, can imagine was all shook up, ready to just, you know, I was, I was slowly untaking, taking that lid off before I even got to the um, doctor's other, uh, the, the office. And as soon as I went in there, it was so, um, yeah, it was, um, it was a nerve wracking experience, but one that obviously, in hindsight, I'm glad that I did. Yeah. And so you you found one you clicked with. How long did you actually see them for? Probably, look, realistically, not, not enough, uh, not long enough. Um, you know, I um, probably saw them four or five times, which, you know, was really beneficial. You know, certainly four or five, four or five times, um, yeah, that were hugely beneficial, um, you know, um, meetings or moments for me. So um, whilst, uh, yeah, ended up moving up to Brisbane not long after kind of that, but, yeah, sort of uh, that many times. But I, I guess, I don't know, I probably, as I said, could have seen her a lot more but didn't um, and that, yeah. that's what's happened, but, yeah. But I mean, even that, Josh, that, that's, you know, another really good point to highlight because I think a lot of guys too often think, oh, you know, therapy, counseling, seeing a psychologist, you know, it's going to be this long process of 10, 20 sessions. But I mean, you're a great example of, you know, four or five sessions, you know, whilst you maybe could have seen them more, hmm. that was enough for you to sort of put you on the right track and you seemingly doing pretty well. <laughs> so, right now, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I think 
you know, whether it's one, two, three, or whatever, you, you've got to find what's what works for you. You know, um, others, you know, obviously finance can be a massive barrier to seeing a psychologist at times. Um, you know, and I know from seeing a couple of comments on on social media the other day, you know, that um, yeah, people were. Um, yeah, I think it's one of the first things that we actually think of is, oh, how much does it cost? You know, <laughs> probably very quick to to pay sixty dollars a week to to go to a gym or pay sixty dollars a week to for a carton of beer or whatever. But you know, that same cost to go to a psychologist uh, once every month or two months. You know, we go oh, too expensive. So I think it, it comes back to the education piece, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, and I think as guys too we you know you have that carton of beer or you go out with mates on a night out you know spend 100 bucks 150 bucks but it you get that immediate benefit of it whereas mm-hmm. you know going to a session you might not experience you know the benefit for a while and it is a bit of a gamble and i know so many clients of ours will call call our office and they'll say how much how many sessions do you think i need how much is this going to cost? Which is fair enough. I mean, that's the yeah. pragmatic mind of blokes. But as you said, the education, trying to see this like your gym membership as an investment in your future and your mental health going forward. Because like I know with my clients, I, I always say that my hope by the end of this process, whether it's three sessions or 20 sessions, hopefully it's three. But by the end of it, I want you to walk away with some tools and strategies that you can take with you for the rest of your life. And that really is an investment. Yeah, and I think that's probably um, part of it as well is that misunderstanding of what a psychologist actually does um, to a degree, you know, that we've um, got this uh, picture of, you know, someone coming in and laying on laying on the couch, you know, um, and just blurting out all their emotions and the psychologists kind of writing and but you know as you said it's it's about those tools and supports to go okay well how is it how how can i get from where i am now to as you put it before thriving mm-hmm. and that that's it i mean therapy counseling it is so different for every client you know for some people it's working through past traumas and griefs or losses others it's about exploring how they can be a better partner father or, you know thrive for others, it's about, you know, developing those concrete strategies to manage their mood, anxiety, and whatnot better. You know, it's, it's you know, different stroke for different folk, so mm. to speak. Josh, I'm mindful, um, you know, we've referred to Blokepedia a lot, but you, I haven't actually allowed you to give the sort of the overview of what is, when somebody asks you, what is Blokepedia? What do you guys do? Okay, yeah, so... Um, we're, we're a social enterprise that, I guess... Um, focuses on men's health and well-being so we deliver um, events that you spoke about previously uh, and, and now uh, with the support of Clive um, uh, Dr Clive Williams as well we deliver uh, workshops and we've got some online resources as well there to um, I guess not only have those conversations that we talked about you know that are so important but to actually give guys the tools supports and, and understanding as well around you know what men's mental health looks like, some of the some of the behaviours that we um, uh, demonstrate as fellas when it comes to our mental health, like bottled emotions and help-seeking behaviours. Um, but also Clive's work has been very much focused on how we deal with change. Um, and I think uh, if we look at some of the key topics that um, 
we talk about in our events and and work that we do it all comes back to how we as how we deal with change whether it's becoming a new father or a job redundancy or um new relationship ending a relationship these are all uh, obviously significant changes so to, um, clive's work is focused on the hero's journey uh, which is basically a um a framework for um for change which which i find really quite fascinating um because it's such a simple tool uh, it's such a simple framework that it's quite easy to kind of understand where you're at but various stages of your life or or of that change and when you speak about those online resources josh uh i know recently you guys launched i can't recall the name of it but a different sort of a men's uh platform a self self-help sort of tool was it yeah so we, we launched um in partnership with uh with go one who who's um one of the the world's largest online library of um e-learning um a men's health and well-being toolkit. So that focuses on we've got five areas that it, it's all built around story sharing, essentially, which is it, which is at the crux of it. What what Blokepedia is about. So it features uh, men's uh, some blokes and their stories uh, on on five different topics, which are fatherhood, change, um, our lifestyle, social connection, and uh, and mental health as well. So kind of has a, a look at that in a really kind of practical and easy to understand way i guess that isn't uh isn't your traditional e-learning um which you know is obviously cartoons and american accents um so it's, it is it's all um you know we, we uh, didn't have the budget for models so we had to use some some ordinary looking average uh you know average shows here in australia so um and i'm sure they'd love for me to uh, have shared that with you but yeah it's um really exciting tool that we're obviously looking to to get out to community and, and uh, organizations as well awesome awesome and josh is this your full-time gig or are you still working the nine to five as well no it is now um i it, uh, probably one of the best moments you could probably choose to i just transitioned uh at the end of uh end of march from um some contracting work that i was doing into into blokepedia full-time now so um whether the timing's great, I don't know. Um, <laughs> it, is, it is what it is. I think you know. There's obviously a huge opportunity right now for us to to um, start doing the work we do. I think now in this time of you know a pandemic that we're all experiencing, I think services like Blokepedia are more and more needed. Um, yeah, so it's full time gig now, mate. Well, that's incredible, Josh. I mean, I, I'm excited just to think where Blokepedia is going to be in a year, given it's got you full time with hands on deck all the time now. How's that transition been for you? I know it's only been a few weeks, but I mean, that must be really exciting. It is. It's, um, you know, exciting and scary at the same time. I think you know, it's such a significant step to kind of leave the comfort of a, of a paid role into the unknown of running, running your own business. Um, Look, I think, it, yeah, it, it it is scary. I think right now is um, certainly interesting times. But, yeah, I, I like having that extra time to kind of put the creative hat on and focus on um, on all this other stuff that I've been kind of having to push to the side. So that's, yeah, giving me time to, to really sit down and focus on on what's important for Blokepedia and, and obviously um, the men and women who are, who are engaged with us. 
I can't wait to see what's to come. Now, t- can you give us a sneak peek? Sort of what what is the vision for you, Josh? What's the vision for Blokepedia? You know, five years down the track, where's Blokepedia going to be? Oh, look, I'd love to uh, be able to be running workshops um, across Australia. Um, world domination probably isn't on the radar for the next <laughs> five years, but we might look at that longer term. Um, I, I think. Yeah, getting more of our programs and and tools and resources out to the wider community. I think as a social enterprise, we want to get to a stage where, I guess, the commercial side of the business, which is our workshops and that, um, help fund the work that we do in community. So we want to be able to do, I guess, more regular events, but probably in in locations across Australia, get down to obviously Melbourne and and, and to the other side, WA and all over as well to, to I guess create that social connection and also which is going to be so so needed very soon i think i think people Ooh, yeah. will be knocking down the doors of pubs to to get into these events i i i i i'm scared to think how busy that first uh conversation that matters event that you guys run again face to face in a pub how busy that is going to be oh yeah look I, i'm happy um with having 20 or 30 people in there sometimes, but you know, it's always nice to have a, a sold out, sold out venue um, for these discussions. Cause it's, um, yeah, uh, I think they're really super important. And I think what we do is pretty unique uh, in a way, you know, simple, but, but you, you know, unique as well. No, I love it, Josh. I can't wait to get up to Brazil and attend one myself. Just we'll finally Melbourne, say again, we'll come down to Melbourne. Oh, you're going to come to – okay, even Why better. Not? Even better. Come in summer though, not in winter. Yeah. <laughs> Just finally, Josh, you know, if there's there's guy a guy out there listening who resonates with your journey or he's str- struggling in one way or another at the moment, what would your advice to him be? Look, I think if someone, yeah, is struggling or, or having, you know, a bit of a tough time of things, my advice would be find something that, you know, works for you, uh, whether it's, you know, going to a psychologist or, you know, um, like yourself or uh, other kinds of therapy, but uh, whether it's going to the, these meetups like Mr. Perfect that you mentioned before, I think you've got to find what suits you and suits your personality and and where you're at as well. But take the time to kind of think about what it is exactly that you need Um and don't be afraid to talk to people about it as well. Talk to, think of those one or two close friends that you know you can be vulnerable with and, and just have a conversation. I think that's probably a really good starting point. Um, yeah, that, that would be my thing. Do, do what's right for you. Yeah, and it sounds cliche, but, I mean, it's so true, isn't it, just starting that conversation. Josh, I absolutely love what you guys do. I think, you know, you guys, especially now you're full-time, hands on deck all the time, it's 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 going to have a significant impact on the narrative of what it means to be a man and what that actually looks like in years to come. So I think, you know, it's an incredible job you guys are doing. Um, and how can people find out more about you and get in contact and try and access some of the Blokepedia resources? Yeah, so we're on um, Facebook, like um, so many... Uh, organizations are so you can find out about our events and what we're up to on facebook otherwise our um jump onto our website which is blokepedia.com and you'll be able to um sign up to our mailing list we send out um, emails every uh, month or so awesome 
Awesome, Josh. Well, thank you so much for your time, mate. Uh, I'm sure we'll have you on the podcast down the track again because we could chat for hours, but thank you so much. Carl, thank you very much, mate. You enjoy the rest of your day. Take care. Thanks again for tuning in to the Bloke Psychology Podcast. If you like what you heard, please leave us a review, share it with a friend, or subscribe to the podcast. If you want to contact us or find out any more about the work we do at Bloke Psychology, just go to blokepsychology.com.au. Take care, guys.